peeling back the layers. This is On the Cutting Room Floor, a podcast brought to you by Luke Bridges and George Swainston. This week we're investigating the good, the bad and the ugly of the hip-hop skit, and whether they're welcome parts of the album, or whether they should have been left on the cutting room floor. Let's picture the scene. It's a Friday night, and you're throwing a party. You spent money on booze, you set up a paddling pool in the back garden, and hidden all of the knickknacks that will tip people off that you're throwing a party at your parents' place. How much cologne is too much cologne? You don't want to overpower anyone. But you do want people to smell your Davidoff cool water, and to realise that you're a man of taste. Finally, what sort of music are you going to play? What about Big Pun's Capital Punishment, released in 1998? After all, if you trust the opening skit, then- Punishment a real dope, homie. Word, I seen a seven foot tall white Terminator nigga with 20 guns on my roof just the other day. Punishment be taking out all y'all stupid heroes. He be saying bad. And that's something he backs up in his opening tracks. Hey yo, my murderous rap, verbal attack is actual fact. Tactical tracks match perfectly with graphical stash. Half of you lack the magical gap of tragical rap that tackles you back and shackles and laughs. That's the mathematical madness I'm on, the sadness the strong. What's not to like? Big Pun is charming and cocky. He has this effortless skill when he rhymes. So, why not put the whole album on? That's why I have to debate you. My raps are like people slashing your face. That's how I master the grace. You want battling hastings. If he passes through my label, I'm snatching this halo. God, I'll trade with yourself. My father back is an angel. The first guests are trickling into your party. There's Jane with her beautiful smile. There's Fred, who you desperately want to impress. And Alexandra has just walked in. She looks around. She likes the decor. She smiles. Maybe she can smell your cologne. She likes the music too. Until. I hate you. I promise. I like the soap, I like the soap, right? Hold on. Check it for the back. You don't remember this part of the album. I get it. Castigame. Oh dear. It's fair to say the vibe has changed. It's likely that if you've ever heard a hip-hop album played through, you've encountered, and maybe have even been baffled or embarrassed by, the idea of the skit. Skits are short comic vignettes, often about a minute long, which interpose between songs, providing interludes during an album. Speaking personally, I've never been able to understand the point. A lot of them, like that big pun skit, seem kind of tacky. They detract from the album, and can make for uncomfortable listening, which raises the question, why bother putting them in? If you consider the process of making an album, that question, why bother, becomes even sharper. Let's take The Score, released by the Fugees in 1996. Reminiscing about recording the album, Wyclef Sean recalls a moment of intense catharsis involved in recording the single Ready or Not. He said, The three of us was each going through some pain. Lauren was crying when she did her vocals. It was unbelievable. To see her singing with tears coming out of her eyes, it made me want to cry too. You can feel that intense emotion when you listen to the album. It's powerful. It's honest. So why then, at what point in the process of making it, 
up to clearing the samples, booking the studio, and recording all the verses that lay bare the group's most painful, most intense emotions. Did someone pipe up and say, this is great and all, but what we really need now is a long, aimless Chinese restaurant skit. Well, let's go to this next Chinese Muslim joint. You get some shrimp fried rice and make salad at the same time. The action of this skit sees Peralz and Wyclef make an nonsensical order of two beef fried rice and half a chicken wing. Confused by their order, the restaurant owner latches onto one crucial word. What's this? Yeah, Hold on. What's this? The two of you? At once. Okay then. You want beef? No, no, we want beef to eat. We ain't got no beef. I want four chicken wings fried hard, nigga. What the fuck are you talking about? Alright, I'll kick you monkey asses my fucking self. Obviously, the two of you are just bitch ass niggas. Huh? Nigga, well, let's do something. You talking this old what's bullshit. What's up? So what's up? Okay, what's, what's up, nigga? What's up, nigga? punk ass? All right. Yo, this is a Chinese restaurant, but like Burger King, have it your way. Why do it? Great art has the potential of being immortal, of outliving the artist and exerting an influence on generations to come. But that Chinese restaurant skit? It has a shelf life shorter than Wyclef's beef fried rice. To be honest, Wyclef seems to do a real line in poorly timed, poorly executed skits. In his 2003 album, The Carnival, Wyclef expertly mixes guitar and solo vocals in the beautiful bittersweet track Gone Till November. He even gets the New York Philharmonic to provide the string section. The whole track's beautiful. It's meticulously planned. But hot on the track's tail is the ill-judged Words of Wisdom skit, where Wyclef repeatedly yells the word rape in a deranged tirade about full sexual assault claims. Why do that? Why, why, why? I was just telling that I got this, this girl before, and I uh, was together since three years, and... Uh, I was not even cheating her or what, and Facebook arrived and uh, she wanted me to accept her on Facebook and I don't want it because I was like in front of her, in front of her and she told me like accept me on Facebook, this was virtual, means no sense. Frank Ocean released Blonde to critical acclaim in 2016. It got 5 stars from The Guardian, 9 out of 10 from Pitchfork but mention of Facebook's story was conspicuously absent. It seemed only to be mentioned by reviews scathing of the album as a whole. The ghost at the feast, only summoned to make a point. In the Telegraph's review, messy, pompous and pointless, why Frank Ocean's blonde doesn't live up to the hype, Facebook's story was dismissed as a silly interlude. So I said, I'm in front of you, I don't need to accept you on Facebook. She started to be crazy. She thought that because I didn't accept her. She thought I was cheating. She told me, like, uh, it, uh, it's over, yeah, I can't believe you. It, uh, I said, come on, you're crazy. It's all like, uh, 
I'm in front of you, I'm every day here in your house. But it means like it's jealousy, pure jealousy for nothing, you know, virtual thing. But the skit went beyond being the kind of thing that you either immediately skip or endure with a bemused smirk. It quickly became a meme on Reddit with a video entitled I had my French dad read Facebook story once, lol, upvoted almost four and a half thousand times. I was uh, together since three years, and uh, I was not even cheating on her uh, or what, uh, and Facebook arrived, and uh, she wanted uh, me to accept her on Facebook. But could Facebook story be more than a cursory clip cast into an otherwise polished piece? The skit's narrator is producer Sebastian who also worked with Frank on his visual album, Endless. A good skit can present the thematic framework of the album in a different voice. Facebook Story seems to do this, touching upon romance, jealousy, and ultimately loss. It's about social media's profound impact on the way that we relate to other people. Sure, the woman in the story allows her life to be controlled by social media, but so does Sebastian, who is so convinced by its triviality that he's willing to sacrifice a relationship over it. Frank's skits on Blonde all play over the same instrumental track. The looped sample of Buddy Ross's Running Around appears first on Be Yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Be yourself. Then Good Guy. Yeah, I ain't got bitches no more. But now I don't care about bitches like that, my nigga. That shit, Jasmine fucking wrecked my heart. I don't even know how to feel it. Facebook story. She told me, like, accept me on Facebook. It was virtual. It means no sense. And finally on Futura Free. What's your first memory? The first word I learned to say that I ever said. What's the most amazing thing you've ever witnessed? <laughs> the sample delineates the skits, which appear both as standalone tracks and that float in and out of songs. Some of Blonde's skits are also defined by their form. Be Yourself, the concerned voicemail left by Frank's mother, sees Ocean add his signature to the guestbook of rappers that have visited what is perhaps the most traditional of skits. Some voicemails, like Frank's, are left by family members. Look What You've Done, from Drake's 2011 album Take Care, features a voicemail from his grandmother, nostalgic about time spent together during his childhood. And Can't Have Everything, released in 2017, features a voicemail from his mother, concerned by his negative image. The late Mac Miller's Perfect Circle Godspeed, released this year, includes a voicemail from his brother, supporting him through a dark time. There's something confessional in the medium of the voicemail, a kind of dramatized reality, implicit in the unrehearsed monologue. Hey, what's up, girl? Hey, you know, I finally got my shit together. Been watching that workout plan, girl. Well, you looking all good and stuff. Bro, I know, a, it's that workout. Got you a six-pack Shakur and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Then, on the other hand, we have the unapologetically theatrical. The skits featured on Kanye West's first studio album, The College Dropout, released in 2004, present caricatures whose comical interludes set the tone for what is to come in the subsequent tracks. In Workout Plan, a group of girls chats excitedly about a new workout tape that is changing lives. I'll give it to you for free 99. Free 99? That's my dog. You always looking out for us. My nigga, now I can throw in my bus pass and shit. Oh my gosh. Oh shit. Kanye is satirizing both obsession with material wealth 
and the pathways traditionally idealized by young girls from the hood. You just popped in a Kanye West, get right for the summer workout tape. And ladies, if you follow these instructions exactly, you might be able to pull you a rapper, an NBA player, man, at least a do with a car. So first of all, we gonna work on the stomach. Nobody wants a little tight ass. The track that follows is the workout tape that the girls have been discussing. And it gives Kanye the opportunity to add his own voice to the conversation. Similarly, I'll Fly Away features a gospel choir performing a hymn about leaving earthly struggles behind for everlasting happiness in heaven. In the following track, Spaceship, Kanye expands on those struggles, grounding them in his lived experience. So Frank Ocean's raw skits feature real people from his life, and Kanye's theatrical skits feature caricatures of his own creation. MF Doom does something else entirely, developing an existing character in Doctor Doom. I remember, Doom had threatened the world leaders with destruction of every major city on Earth. Headquarters. Good evening. Would you believe it? It's Doom on the phone. What's on your evil mind? Hold your insulting tongue and mark my words well. I have plotted my revenge on you. Now I shall have it. Bid farewell to your friends. Doom hates us all. But in his warped mind, he has a personal score to settle with me. Doom's skits are more than thematic sidekicks. They provide the narrative framework within which the album operates. His debut album, released in 1999, Operation Doomsday, is punctuated by skits recounting the bitter events and societal rejection that forced Doom down the path of supervillainy. Here's one which appears in the middle of the album. Doom, are you awake? Doom, are you awake? Yes, but what do you want? You fool. It's a miracle that you didn't kill Carstairs as well as yourself. So before you cause greater harm, get out of here! This is just a minor disappointment. I shall overcome it. The failure of Doom's experiment did not end his tragedy. For a few days later, his bandages were removed. Interestingly, many of the album's clips are taken from The Way It All Began, an episode of the 1967 TV series Fantastic Four. And not only do clips from the episode appear in every skit on the album, they can also be heard in tracks. Listen as it appears again 
on the album's penultimate track, Questions Featuring Curious. My servants began to forge what was to become the most dreaded costume on the face of the earth. The last thing to fit was the mask. Would it conform to my twisted features in comfort? Metal mask with gasoline, after him last scene, pull a chick like a fiend, pull a fast one. Recognize the instrumental as Doom starts to rap his first verse. It was foreshadowed in the skit that we listened to previously, Doom, Are You Awake, where it begins to play, just as Mr. Fantastic says, a few days later his bandages were removed. Songs and skits both contain echoes of each other. The way that Doom's rise to power is gradually recounted, builds suspense and keeps the listener engaged. And the skits extend the narrative beyond the album. Operation Doomsday's final track, Hero vs. Villain, samples the 80s hip-hop film Wildstar. So like, fuck you, fuck the newspaper, fuck all that shit, man, I'm leaving. Five years later, MF Doom releases his second album, Mmm, Food. The sequel's first track, Beef Rap, contains a sample from the very same film. I haven't eaten all day. How am I going to do this? Yeah, man? don't wait you know. for her, man. Don't wait for her. I'll tell you what, man. Come with me now. And, you know, I'll get you some lunch. I'll hook you up with something. I got a little back, you know. No problem. I hear you. That's cool. All right, it's cool. Hey, can't you guys just wait here about a half hour? By seamlessly mixing Wild Style and The Way It All Began, Doom satirizes the traditionally one-dimensional representation of black men as rappers or criminals. He was a nigga yesterday! Doom's lyrics are engaged and complex, peppered with internal rhymes and wordplay. You have to really concentrate to catch it. And the album isn't a novel, which you pick up and put down. It's meant to be listened to in one go. So maybe rappers like Kanye and Doom use skits to provide the listener with breaks and to make sure that, by the time the next verse starts, they have their full attention. It's fair to say that skits seem to be changing form, maybe even evolving. The idea of the skit as a comic sketch, thrown off the cuff at the end of a long day in the studio, for example that big pun or those Wyclef skits, has almost been entirely phased out of the rap album. Now, skits, if they're used at all, are deployed for a specific reason. They play a part in the album. They reveal something about the artist, about their motives, there could also be an economic aspect to this change. It's possible that in the past, when records were sold as physical units, comic skits were thrown as extra bulk to convince punters that they'd be getting more bang for their buck. And if that sounds weird or incredible, it's worth remembering that the comic skit proliferated during a period when the roster of No Limits and the Wu-Tang Clan were regularly releasing 77-minute albums. So there's still a place for skits in the modern-day rap album, but just not as comic interludes. Today's skits seem to be more honest, more self-reflexive, and in my opinion, they're more mature. And all things told, it could be for the best. I mean, it makes listening to rap easier, or less fraught in any case. 
and at the very least, it lowers the stakes when you choose your playlist for the next party you throw. Because if the choice is between listening to the graphic audio of Big Pun pretending to bone groupies, and an overlong waffling interlude from Frank Ocean's producer, I know which one I'd prefer. That was On the Cutting Room Floor, edited by me, George Swainston, and written and produced with Luke Bridges.